Everybody, welcome back to XR at Work. I'm Scott. And I'm Dane. And that's Dane. That's right. And so we are proud uh, facilitators of this community of XR practitioners that put extended reality technologies into enterprise. And so uh, welcome to our new episode. It's a new year. We're super excited. And uh, today we have a special guest with us, our dear friend, Jenny Taylor. Jenny, how are you? And what are you doing these days? Hi, I'm doing wonderful. It's a beautiful day here in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, these days, I am working with Duke Energy. We have an external sector called the Virtual Crew. We build uh, virtual reality, extended reality, augmented reality, all kinds of training simulations, applications, and qualifications for, the current, uh, for the energy industry and other industries as well. So I've um, been doing that for a couple of years now. And uh, prior to that, I was um, in the, oh, I've been in the utility industry for 16 years now, uh, 10 years of nuclear. So clean, reliable energy is my passion. And uh, with that, I'm really excited to hear what we have today. That's awesome. Yeah, so Jenny, uh, we talked to a lot of people who are working in this space. And you know, obviously there's uh, there's kind of the debate on like internally developed versus externally bought. And you know, there's a whole process that goes along with you know, new content in the space. And I think uh, the other thing is, you know, people a lot of times get stuck on the hardware, but I would argue that, you know, a lot of times the software and the actual, you know, customer and the use case and all that is more important. And so I know you have a ton of experience in this space and I think we'd love to know just, you know, how do you, how do you guys think about, you know, the process? And also, can you give us kind of some background on your team? I know you guys build for internal uses, but you're also like an external, uh, you have, like you sell to external customers as well, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, I, that's a lot of, a lot of questions in there. I'll try to break it down <laughs> a little bit here and there. It's <laughs> all so good. Um, so it is funny when people see the headsets, they get excited, you know, they want to get in the headsets. That's the first thing I want to do. Let's, let's get the headsets. Let's buy headsets. Everyone wants to go ahead and purchase everything. And you kind of want to slow them down and say, well, let's make sure that what you're talking about and what you're wanting to put into virtual reality is the right move. We don't always put everything in virtual reality and might not be the best case scenario. So we want to make sure it's a, a great time, um, effort and cost savings, safety, but there's a lot of prayers we, we talk to the business about, um, you know, is this a right fit for virtual reality? So we kind of have to slow their roll a little bit, make sure that, uh, you know, it is the right fit, make sure that we're providing value to the customer that will be in the headset. Customer could be someone trading. Uh, it could be a commission that, or we have, we have headsets on Capitol Hill right now. We are, getting legislators and headsets to learn more about Duke Energy's clean energy transition. So it's really important to take a step back and say, who is the customer? Why are we building this? What problem are we trying to solve for? That is the biggest thing we ask folks. What is the problem? Are people not signing up for training? Are they not happy with training? Are people not completing training? Is it not very easy? Are you paying too much for travel? Is it causing safety incidents? So these are all things that we try to look at before we ever build anything. The first thing we do is build a problem statement. Um, so the team together, uh, you asked a little bit about our team. We have uh, 12 individuals who are experts in this field, almost over 90 years of experience overall across the team and in simulations. Yeah. So we have people who actually worked at video game studios. We have people who worked at, uh, you know, cell phone places that were doing virtual reality trainings. We have people who have worked in training scenarios and situations. Um, and we have people from the business that really were interested in this and 
some people that just picked up an headset and said, this is where I want to go with my life. So a uh, very wide range of folks, uh, anywhere from 20 years experience all the way to one year experience. We have some of our scrum masters. If you don't know what that is, agile process, we can talk about that a little bit more later, but an amazing team with, we have tech leads, we have art leads, we have artists. So that's a, a, what kind of sets us aside from other virtual reality in-house studios that you see. They might have a developer, a product owner, um, but we have artists. So we develop all, we don't just buy asset packs online. We develop all of our art in-house so that we can customize it. We can add physics to it. We can add code. We can do whatever we need to. We can change color. We can move it around. Um, and these 3D art assets are very important for our training simulations, especially as we go to customize for different companies and different utilities. It's really nice to have our art assets at hand so that we can customize everything we need. So amazing team doing amazing work. They've won so many awards, industry awards, um, digital transformation awards, all kinds of awards. So really phenomenal team. I'm lucky to be a part of. That's really cool. So like, it, I guess within your business, um, I imagine you didn't start maybe by selling externally. You probably started as an internal team. Is that is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So we started, we have a, a change maker at Duke Energy, uh, John Mitchell, and he was instrumental for understanding the value for Duke Energy of this. So in 2018, after he bought his first headset personally, he said, I wonder how we can utilize this at Duke Energy. And he's a leader at D in digital transformation here. And he said, why don't we just hire a contractor for a little bit, see what they can do, develop something. So we built our first virtual safety briefing, a simulation that we still use today for our new Optimus Hall location in Charlotte, North Carolina. So of 2018, it was successful. Everyone loved it. So we started talking to business units and said, would you benefit from this? Here's what we found value in. Can we do a prototype with you? Can we pilot something with your technicians? So we started with the natural gas business unit with their field technicians. And we wanted to kind of create some metrics around uh, some trainings that we developed. So we developed some grounding, um, training some Kite, uh, pipeline patrol is a very popular one. Even kids like to play it. <laughs> we have uh, testers that are our, our employees' kids to say, you know, is this easy enough for you to be able to do? You get in the ATV, you ride the pipeline, and be able to um, see what your see what kind of intrusion there is. But we decided that how is this adding value? So we had these field technicians get in headset. Ninety six percent of them were never had never been in a headset. Were not familiar with VR at all. Um, and even if they had been in a headset once, we put them in that 4%. Um, of those people that participated, 92% provided positive feedback. And it's huge. These are field technicians with steel toe boots and hard hats. And they said, we're okay with getting in headsets to do our training. We don't make it mandatory. We just kind of said, hey, try it out. Let us know what you think. Give us some feedback. And 78% said they would recommend it to their peers. Recommend a training? That's, yeah. that's a big. Yeah. Uh, we cost savings um not only that were they able to train faster so 3.6 times faster than in the classroom and four times faster than with cbts and they're retaining that information a lot more than they would have prior um we found an average of five hundred thousand dollars in savings for o&m operations and maintenance savings and combined per technician about three hours through their suite of, of savings just to complete their trainings and they were actually able to go out in the field and effectively do this, um, do their their tasks after training in VR. So I kind of got on a tangent there, but I think it's really important to know that that's how we started. We found value. 
we started going out and now we have over 38 applications in Duke Energy internally uh, that we're using every day uh, from all over the field. So we're in the nuclear uh, generation facilities. We're in natural gas business unit, as I mentioned. Um, we have our renewables. We have commercial operators, electrical operators that now can train and qualify. That's a big deal. Qualifications. Um, we have industry standard qualifications that now people are doing in headset. They don't have to go out the sub station being high voltage put themselves at risk they could do it in the home in the you know comfort of their own home with someone who's qualifying them watching them um with multiplayer or with casting just really amazing it's changed the way we've done business we're in distribution we're in the business units uh you know we're, we're with customers we're with stakeholders we're in capital that we're all over and i love that so i want to continue that you know something you brought something you brought up that i think that, that i've run across a lot at um, Jenny, it sounds like you do as well. It sounds like you do a good job of this, and that is uh, understanding how things have been done previously. And when you're uncovering kind of the, the the business case, what you know, I always like to to ask you know, if you say it takes too long to do something now, the old way, how long does it take? Do you have documentation of this? Can you can you give us? I I asked the factories, and it sounds like you do as well. Where have you been with this? How are you tracking this? Show me the numbers that you want to improve, right? And if they don't have some sort of baseline or historical numbers for how long something's taking or how long it takes to repair something or or how uh, effective something has been, then you really don't have any anywhere to start from to go have a positive impact, right? I mean, how important is it to really baseline the n metrics that you're looking to improve? Very true. So we do have, um, it, most every company has a LMS system that usually tracks how long it takes someone to complete a training. Are they completing it? Are they behind in getting their trainings? So we'd like to pull that data and we'd like to see if when we do a pilot or a prototype, again, after we've done all the initial of uh, finding the problem statement, defining the problem, defining what we're building. We like to see and compare those metrics and see, are we making a difference? Is this valuable? Especially when we're in that pilot phase or prototyping to, you know, just try it out with them and see, are we solving the problem that you have? Um, you know, when someone says, we're not seeing people complete training, well, what's the percentage? Who's not completing it? Why aren't they completing it? You ask right. these questions. So we do a lot of surveys. Um, we make sure the business unit provides us details that we can then verify once we've um, started a pilot, we can verify with them that we are making a difference with virtual reality before we even go into a larger phase of work. Can you talk about, so you mentioned the LMS system, which, you, you know, you're right, like most most every business has an LMS system. Are you guys doing like XAPI stuff with like an LRS system to get more granular data? And can you talk about, you know, I think there's a, a common challenge in businesses where they're like, well, we already have an LMS system. Why do we need an LRS system? Right. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, really good point. Um, yes and no is my answer. It depends on the business unit. So a lot of them just want an LMS, want us to connect to their LMS system. So we do provide with our trainings and qualifications. If we, if we build something customized for you, we, we include an API that we work with your LMS system. We've worked with several of them. They're not the easiest, you know, they have their own priorities. They don't want to add things, you know, but we do, we create, you tell us your parameter. The business says, I want to know what their name is, what their employee number is. Uh, we try not to put too much PI data, personal identification information out there. 
Um, even though these are very secure, we go through tons of cyber and architecture reviews and approvals, but we want to make sure that we're not putting confidential information out there. So we usually recommend um, having their employee ID or a number that you can identify someone with. Then you put how long they're in the headset, how long did it take them to complete? Did they get out of the headset at any time? Why? Where were they stuck? You know, we have those metrics, but that we like to get for ourselves. But then we ask the business, what do you want to receive into your LMS system? And so we do create those APIs that then their LMS system can adjust that delivers all that data automatically, which is very, very informative and useful. Um, we don't recommend not having metrics when you have uh, virtual reality trainings. You want to make sure that you built the right thing. We, I think it's really important to develop an agile methodology because if you're not familiar with agile, I think I mentioned before we talk about it for a second, um, you're building iterative cycles and a two-week sprint process. That's how we do it. So we actually deliver actionable, um, real training application and updates every two weeks. So the first month or so, you're it's going to be more white boxing. It's going to be more clunky. You have a character, you have a box, you know, it's going to, going to go here. But as we start getting into the build every two weeks, we want the testers, the business to be getting in the headsets and saying, we're on the right track. We're going the right way. Um, and so then we can iterate the next sprint. We do have a sprint goal we've defined ahead of time with our roadmap, but we like to say, let's add this to the backlog because it's not as important, or let's bring it into the next sprint because it's super important to have this in the next build. And so we do these iterative cycles that are very important. A little off track there, um, but yeah, I, I think it's great that we document, we know what we're, we're building and we know how to, it, you can't have training without metrics. And you don't want to be an virtual reality without knowing what your customers are doing in the headsets. Absolutely, man. Like I, so <laughs> Jenny, we're going to be best friends because this is something that I've been talking about is, uh, you know, the experiential aspect of VR is, is incredibly valuable and very important, you know, for being able to, to translate a skill set. But as far as the person who's owning the training for the business, if you don't have any kind of metrics on how people are performing, it's incredibly hard to even kind of get, yeah, I, I always feel like the first project buys you the second project, right? And so if you don't have the metrics to be able to support the performance and a way to buy, you know, that next product, because you can't, you can't justify what you've done. So uh, yeah, I a hundred percent agree with you. I think that's awesome. And, and um, so like you, you mentioned the, you know, so there's, there's data, like the name and the employee ID and all that stuff. But there's also a bunch of information about like where did the person look and you know what did they grab and all those different things. How how granular or how valuable do you think the granular data is versus like just kind of allowing for auto sign off, which is also you know very important. Great question. I I think and the team I think would back me up on this that the granular data is very important for us as the developers of this simulation. The business doesn't care where they're looking or if they're struggling somewhere. I mean, they do a little bit of when we're building it, but we care because we want to know if something's difficult and if someone's looking a different way, when we need to look in here, we need to know that so we can develop the, the software a little bit differently or the scenario a little bit differently. I mean, we have scenarios where things pop up behind people and they're supposed to look behind them because they're at a substation in real life. If you hear someone go behind you, you would look behind you, but people are doing that. So it would allow us to add more features to have arrows showing, go this way, go this way, pointing people in the right direction um, and changing our simulation. So those metrics are very important for our software developers. 
to really understand, um, is there software? I mean, is this platform, are we doing the right things? Are we building the right way? Should we add things? Should we add pop-ups? Should we add tool tips? Um, we actually did that because we were noticing people were struggling at one of our, um, trading. They weren't being, they didn't know what to do next. So we started adding pop-ups when people kind of looked around or were waiting for a minute, didn't, or touching different things they weren't supposed to. Um, so I think that's extremely important that that metadata for our developers to use. So we're talking a lot about virtual reality, of course, and, and, and VR for, for training, uh, and for, for, um, skills assessment with, um, the energy sector, uh, frontline workers. What about augmented reality? Are you doing anything with augmented reality or is it mostly VR right now? We do have a couple items. We have one that is being used. Uh, so we do, we, we don't do as much of that because we haven't found the need. The business hasn't come to us as much with the need. We have one that's out there right now that our, uh, transmission, I'm sorry, customer delivery folks are doing. And that's, those are individuals that go out to the customer and say, we're going to be upgrading your equipment or we're going to be doing installs, but we're going to have this really bulky, maybe ugly to you equipment that's going to be placed in your yard or at your manufacturing facility. We want to make sure that we're placing it in a, a place that's not in the way. Does it create safety hazards? Does it do, you know, we want to make sure that you're okay with this and I'm okay with this. So they have an iPad that they go out to the customer with. And it's an augmented reality application where you, you can see real life what's going on and you can place a transformer or a box, electrical box or something, a line and you place it. They can see what it will look like once it's completed in real life. They'll say, you know what, let's move it over here. Let's add some, we even have some shrubbery you can add because we do plant and see stuff where we install the high things. And so we actually just build out what it will look like in your area and that in your facility. Once the customer in person with the Duke Energy um, employee says, we both agree with this placement, it actually sends that to the work order. So it has the visuals and it has the, the sign off from the customer and the employee saying, we both agree. And so that way, they'll align. We start installing this. We didn't agree to that. That's not where we wanted it. Well, we both agreed here. It's in the work order. Here's, you know, do you remember this? Remember the screenshot? Remember? Oh, right, right, right. So that's really helpful for them to use for augmented reality. We have had some use cases where we unfortunately couldn't get the funding approved, but um, in our warehouses for procurement and sourcing to know uh, when things come, we have huge warehouses and when things come into the warehouse, where to place it, you can scan the barcode and uh, you can look around and it'll show you where it should go on the shelf and then it'll put it in inventory. So it has a little bit of augmented reality and AI built into that. So you can see the shelves, you can see the item, you can see where you're supposed to place it. And then once you place it, it's put into inventory then. So that's a really helpful process. We, again, didn't finish that because funding is always an issue at regulated utilities. So probably any, any company, especially with interest rates the way they are, hopefully coming down. But um, we won't get into economics of things. We also had, um, so one of my favorite projects I've done in my career was called Kilowatt Fresh. You can download it on the app store for free, especially if you're a Duke Energy employee. It's really fun. It's, it's wonderful to play. It's teaching you about energy efficiency. And um, we use it for several years at different um, schools to teach kids about energy efficiency. We actually developed an idea of putting augmented reality. The initial actually prototype and pilot that we actually put together was where you go through your home and you do an in-home energy audit. So you can see, oh, my light bulbs are not LED. Request free LEDs on this app. 
my thermostat is out of sort thermostat. We have a hundred dollars off discount. Uh, order your thermo your Nest thermostat today. So using augmented reality even in the home, because uh, we found that our we actually provide a free service for customers where uh, we have a Duke Energy representative come to your home and do an energy audit. But some people don't trust energy companies to come in and tell you how to. You know, doesn't make sense to a lot of people with energy efficiency. So having you be able to do it yourself, you feel like you're in control. You're being able to see where you can upgrade for free, for discount. Really a great program, but that's how we would use augmented reality as well. We're looking at doing that again. That's awesome. I mean, it sounds like, and, you know, it's interesting too, because with uh, with some of the devices that are now coming to market, and, you know, I don't want to say Vision Pro because then, like, now we're on the hype train. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, we get these mixed reality devices that are coming to market, and I think it's it's cool to think about, you know, the the consolidation of hardware, right? Because, you know, in the past, augmented reality, you had to have a HoloLens or, you know, you could use your phone to your point, but... Um, and then if you wanted to do VR, you had to use an Oculus or a Pico or something. And now it feels like we're getting to a place where there's actually a consolidation of, of hardware, you know, that could be used. So you can use your, your VR headset, right. For you know, different applications. And so I'm interested how, you know, that transition from kind of a very staunchly separated, you know, VR and AR market into this kind of mixed reality, you know, type space, uh, how that's impacting how you guys are thinking about your know, development and the recommendations that you're making. Yeah, it's phenomenal. We, we try to stay all the new technology. We try out all the new hardware and we are loving the mixed reality right now. I mean, Lenovo has a great headset. Oculus has a great headset. I mean, there's so many out there now that are just worlds ahead of where I thought we'd be uh, right now. And it's getting better and better every year, faster and faster every year. So we try to stay on top of it. It's really fun now. We're using hand controls. That's one thing that maybe you didn't mention, but with the, the new headsets, you don't need controllers anymore. And that's a big deal, especially when we're training folks to use their hands um, at equip, you know, to do work. It's very important that they feel like they're really doing it with their hands and not the controllers. Because when you get out in the field, you're not going to have those controllers to use. Um, so that's a really big deal. But yeah, we're actually implementing a lot of the new technologies that we're seeing. We haven't done as much mixed reality um, in the headsets yet. We're still using kind of the AR apps uh, on the iPads and phones, just because those are already out in the field. We don't have to tell them to buy equipment. Some of the equipment that's out there today is very expensive, the hardware, and they feel like they can't go in the field and, and be able to drop it without breaking it and our iPads are heavily, I mean, I could show you, it's got rubber this thick around it, you know, just these are, these are people that are out in the field and they drop things, you know? Um, so they're a little bit nervous about that and, uh, and the price point. So we haven't done as much in the headset for the mixed reality, but, uh, we're, we're playing with it internally on our own and it's been really wonderful. Um, so we're excited using all this. Um, and we're trying to look into some of the open XR for this. Where are you getting, I mean, you know, so we, we met and talked and, and did a, a little bit of a, of a video at uh, the Augmented Enterprise Summit last fall in Houston. Uh, but I mean, where are you um, plugging in at? Where are you getting information from? We certainly appreciate you being part of the XR Award community, but I mean, where are you getting value from? Where are you learning? Because you've got to stay on top of this, as, as all three of us know and our audience knows. What's been helpful for you for just staying on top of, of the latest advancements in extended reality, devices and software. Everything. 
I will say, I, I'm not an expert. I um, enjoy it. I'm learning every day. I think you can't do this job without learning. But really, the team that we have put together are expert. And we have some of those that, hey, I know who's going to be knowing exactly what's going well with a new technology. I know who's going to want to test a new technology. I know who's going to tell us what's good, bad, ugly. We actually have a, a running um, kind of spreadsheet, I guess you can say, uh, when we test something new or when something new hits the market, what we feel about it, what our comments are, what customers are saying. We even get some of our customers in some of the new technologies, which is really fun to say, would you do this? We, you know, we'll go, we'll ship you a free headset to try out. Tell us what you think. Give us your real honest feedback because it's less important about what we think about it. It's more important about what the customer think about it, who's using it. So we can think it's cool all day, but if it's difficult, I think that's the, the biggest um, red flag I see in being able to get folks in headsets and my my goal is always i always tell this to my folks at, at meta that we we work with all the time is my goal is to get more people on headset so is yours let's do it and so i think the biggest thing that we find is making it easy making the technology easy to use anyone can use it i mean i have my mom she's 72 i have her test out her stuff all the time because if it's easy for her it'll be easy for someone else and i, I really hate when i hear people say oh it was operator error I don't care. White glove service. Make it not an operator error. It's our error if someone can't use our technology. And if we're not making it easy to implement the software and the hardware that we use. I mean, I'm not, I was, I didn't grow up being a gamer. I, I read a lot of books. I didn't know what X and AB and Y and all these things. I kept messing it up. So I said, we need hand controls on, you know, if I can't do it, the field technicians can't do it if they don't play video games. We need hand control things everywhere. Show them which button is where, you know, use your trigger finger or your thumb. I didn't know what trigger meant. So these are all things that we need to realize that our customers, if it's not easy to implement, I don't care what cool software is out there. I don't care what new hardware is out there. Make it easy to use and people will use it. I was going to say the I think the constraint that we run into a lot is, you know, so, you know, the, the user is like the utmost importance, right, of making sure that they can use it. But I feel like directly underneath that is management of devices across the business as well. And so, you know, a lot of times we end up with, with uh, like a really good, you know, like it could be the best headset in the world, but if I can't buy, you know, 50 of them and manage them all easily from a central location, there's no way that they're going to get scaled, you know, across the business. So can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, as you talk with businesses, you know, we, we talked about identifying the problem, identifying kind of the, the, the right, you know, customer, if you will, the, the person who's going to be using it. Uh, can you talk to us about like all the peripheral teams that you end up having to work with, you know, IT and, and that kind of thing too? So I mentioned that we're in the field, we're in generation, we're at the business units. We are all over Duke Energy. So there are headsets everywhere. We're across seven states. Um, so they're everywhere. And um, headset management is something that I don't think has made it kind of like I say, battery storage isn't there yet. EVs aren't there yet headset management is not there yet. And I know there's a million companies out there trying to do it and you have to pay a lot of money and then it's not what you wanted. And then you're trying to fit a circle in a square box and just not fun. So we are still today trying on new technologies. I will say um, being able to remotely um, send our software, we use a, a meta platform to remotely um, send software or, and remove it as well. Um, we use that for trials as well, which is really nice. Um, but the headset management, we actually put that on the business. So once we launch our product and they buy their 20 headsets for their field technicians, um, we let them manage, keep, 
inventory. We push the, we, you know, they can reach out to us when they're ready for us to push it to their headset or remove it from a headset. But we leave uh, device management up to the business unit because we're just developing the software. We make it easy for you. Um, and then they can go from there. But uh, I don't think that I would love to be able to, you know, Matt asks us all the time, how many headsets do you have out there? No idea. I wish I could sell you, but business unit will buy that, we'll send it. Um, you know, they're, it's just, it's not made it, it's not easy yet. Mm -hmm. It could yeah. be. There's great solutions out there that are very expensive that we could use maybe, but no one wants to pay for that. They'd rather just have an Excel spreadsheet that, you know, they know John Doe has headset number 103 with serial number this, and this is the email address that we're shipping that the software to. That's kind of what it's still, you're right. It's still different. I mean, it's still difficult. It's, it's, and very forced, right? For headset management, what devices, where are they? Um, do they have the right the, the most current operating system on them? The applications on there, do they have the most current version of the applications? Um, the content management of a fleet of devices. I don't know about you guys, but we've got four or five different devices out in the field. I mean, just the whole thing is still, as we sit here in 2024, just a little crying jag, but it's like, it's still not super easy, right? Um, and I think people want us to have a solution for everything. And it's like, guys, we're still in the early days of this in a lot of ways, right? That's a really good point to say. We're still in the early days. So we, the technologies there, I will say corporate business units do not use virtual reality and headsets as much as we would like them to, and as much as maybe they will in 10 years. So right now we're still in like the cell phone phase of where we know all our cell phones are, we know how to manage those. Um, I think in the next five years or so, maybe as more corporate, um, opportunities come about for virtual reality, they will start asking these big companies, we need device management. I know Meta's doing their business suite, but if corporate companies don't say it's a problem, no one is going to be out there trying to fix that problem. So uh, we're just, I don't think there yet. I think people still use the headsets more for fun and use at the home more than they do at corporate environments. I, there's a lot of pushback at big companies saying we don't want games in our and I hate people say gamification. Let's gamify our training. You know, let's create more immersive trainings and technologies to help our customers. But you know, I, until more companies request better device management, it's not going to be out there. They're going to be updating, you know, game controls and virtual reality, mixed reality more than they care about device management. Right. When when you uh, when you talk with customers, I think this is something people struggle with too: is the rationalization of like store bought versus internally built. And you, you certainly started in the, the kind of internally built, you know, side. How, how do you talk with people who are trying to think about like, oh, should I build a team to, to help support this for my business? Or, you know, like, how, like what, what are the things that are important to think about, I guess, in that conversation? Cost is number one and being able to support it after you launch. Um, you know, they think that you just launch an app and you don't have to update it ever. You don't have to change and you don't have to, there's no bug to is that's not the case. So if you do spin up a team or you buy it externally, you got to have that support on the on the back end. We actually do help other utilities. We have a, a forum of other utilities that we help them if they're trying to develop. Um, and we do it for free because utilities like helping other utilities. Here's some tips and tricks on what we lessons learned we've, we've had over the past seven years. Here's how we can help you build your own in-house. And most Often than not, people say, all right, this is too much. We'd rather just uh, buy it from someone else and pay an annual fee. 
Um, but it's really important, I think, for us to to say if we're talking to other utilities, you know, we're we're building utility applications built for utilities by utilities. We're utility customers. We're utility employees. Um, so I think that's really important because some people say, oh, we'll just hire this game studio. We'll have some consultants. We'll have some contractors. And you're just going to, I think, throw money away. So just make sure, we always like to say, make sure you're doing the right thing for the right thing. So it, if you just want to try a pilot and prototype, hire an external company, pay the you know $100,000 to just try something out, you might throw that money away, but just know that you're doing that. If you're really wanting to get serious about it, invest in it because it will pay you back in the end. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And then, you know, the other, uh, the other kind of question that I have in this space is like, as you're, as you're thinking about, you know, these deployments, you know, what are the things that, um, customers miss, right? Like what are the themes that, that as you guys are talking through, like, you know, I guess that are important for people to know as they're getting started. And I guess maybe like a follow-up to that would be like, uh, as you went to go build your team, yeah, what was the progression of that? I imagine you didn't go from like just Jenny to 12 people, right? So like, can you walk us through kind of uh, what that looked like? Yeah, the the first question that you you asked, uh, I have a really great story about this. So we met with a company, not a utility, uh, a food services company uh, to create a, an operator tech check train for them at their, their facilities, their restaurant, their cafe, that sort of thing. And that we held our first design thinking session, which is really important. Don't go in there and build really understand what you're building before you start writing any code. Uh, we had this, we had this company, we said, who, who's doing this training? Who, you know, who will be in the headset doing these trainings? And they, they gave us, so it was operator Joe Blow. And so we said, well, what is their experience like? What does their day to day look like? I don't know. Well, what are they working out of this trainings? Well, how does this training benefit them? I, I don't know. We just know that they have to do it. That is not the way to start. So we actually got in the mind of the customer. We said, all right, we are Joe Blow. We're, we're going to do a whole customer prep on. We're going to say, um, Oscar, the operator, goes to work, and this is what his day looks like. He goes into work. He has 20 different emails. He has people coming into his office. He has a million things coming at him, but he has to finish his training. And otherwise, he's going to get pink from his manager. Why does he have to finish his training? How? Well, it's going to help him not have cyber security attacks at his facility, which he could lose thousands of dollars and lose his job, and everyone has to shut down. So that's why this training is important to them. So then we build that training to help the people taking the training understand that why they're doing this training, how it will help them, how it will benefit them, not just you have to take it. And then what does the experience look like and what do they get out of it? You know, what objectives is the company trying to achieve and what are the objectives that the employee taking this training is trying to achieve? And so uh, we had so many people that are creating trainings that have never thought about who will be taking the training. They think like a trainer, that think like the company. And so we try to get them in the mindset and we've heard from everyone that's taken this, oh, I never thought about that because I've never thought like the customer that's going to get in the headset. So that's been our biggest benefit that we see is they, is miss people in the business when they go to build trainings. Even any training department, I'm not talking about virtual reality here. You build a CBT, computer-based training, they don't think about the person taking the training. Yeah. Before, and getting that feedback after they take the training. Well, and, and Scott and I talk about this a lot. It's important to integrate the content into the work process, right? So I have kind of a similar story where we built a, this was probably around the 2018 you know, timeframe you know, as well, 2019, and we built a, uh, a VR sim. 
and we said, okay, we're just going to take the standard training process and we'll just cut the uh, book-based training out. We'll put VR in and voila, you know, we'll get great results, right? And we probably got a, a you know, like an, in, we got an improvement for sure, which I think there's also kind of a dangerous, you know, slope here, which is you can stop too early before you actually achieve the full value of the training. But, um, you know, so we got like a 20% improvement or something like that. And then we went, hey, we, uh, you know, we really should rework this entire process because we don't have the same constraints that we had originally. And then we got like an 80% reduction in time once we reworked the entire process. And so I love what you're saying because I, I think what you're trying to get to is like, how do you how do you make sure that it's easy for people, you know, who are uh, who are doing this on a day to day basis to not have to like think about, you know, going and doing training as it is part of their job. Um, so again, tried this out prototyping with one one contractor 2019. I think it was I had my my thing up here. Um, and then when we got other business units 2018, when we got other business units saying, "Hey, we want this," we saw natural gas business unit was doing it successfully, uh, and we started getting extra funding. We are extra like funded, even though we're an internal like Duke Energy doesn't give us money from our ratepayers. We actually get it from the business units that need us. And so as we started getting more business units wanting more trainings and qualifications to be built, that's when we can build up the team a little bit larger, depending on how much money is coming in. And we can roadmap that out a couple of years. So that's how the team got to be as big as it is, but it's taken many years. Yeah, we have a, we see a lot of folks in not XR practitioners who are putting augmented or virtual reality into industrial environments. And um, I think it's difficult maybe for, for those of us, like the three of us on this, on this episode to, to remember back to what it was like in the first six months in our, in our new jobs. You know, when I first started putting XR into manufacturing years ago, um, it was, it was a mess, man. I mean, and I didn't have, I didn't have Dane. I didn't have you, Jenny. I didn't have people to, to talk to. I mean, so when you think about folks in the audience today, watching this episode that are maybe several years uh, upstream from where you're at, Jenny. I mean, what what advice would you give someone who's just starting out? Uh, is it uh, throw a bunch of money at it? Is it try different things and fail fast? Is it you know go slow and methodical? But I mean, what what would your advice be to to someone starting out? One of my so I love product development. New product development is where I get my kicks, and I love the fact that you said fail fast. I have said that a million times. People are scared of failure. And we used to actually go, one of my favorite bosses and mentors of all time, um, Bill Watson, he used to hold funerals for projects and we would celebrate the life of that project. And that was short. That, you know, sometimes an executive will get on a podium and say, I want this. And you spend millions of dollars and try to get it to work, even though you know it's going to fail. You know it's not going to work. I think that executive would be, hopefully, more open to the fact that he said, I just saved you $2 million because we, we decided to cut this project really quickly so fail fast it's so important that people always forget they get so stuck on i want to finish this i want to we were we're taught when you when you're small you get a plate of food you finish your food but now we're realizing it's probably not very healthy you eat until you're full and then you don't need to overeat right that's the same thing with projects you know if it's not working and if you're full and it's still not working don't do it fail fast and so i think that's really important for folks to know early on and, and prototype and pilot um, get feedback is so important when, you know, you don't just go in and say, I'm going to spend a year and a half creating this huge simulation and then you go put it out the field and no one wants to use it. 
get the field technicians involved in the beginning, get the people who are using trainings involved in the beginning, get the trainers involved in the beginning and the trainees and the business. Everyone's in headsets every two weeks for the first six months of that pilot. Get it out to as many field technicians as you can to give you feedback and know that it's valuable and it's adding value to the business and it's saving that time and you're getting those metrics for the business. Um, so pilot, 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 they have all fast, so those are most important. And if you're looking as a company, if you're an executive and you're looking to do something like this, get a headset for yourself, get in the headset, play games, play, go, there's golf, there's bowling, there's all kinds of things. I love to watch golf game. Um, go in there, you know, play tennis, do the things yourself and see, is this easy? Will I want to be in this headset? Will my employees want to be in this headset? Um, you know, that's the thing I did is I was like, all right, I feel like it's work when I get in this headset because I've never been in headset before joining this group. A quarter for every time I say headset. Um, and so when you, uh, I, I asked the team, what are some fun games? Like the fishing game was the first game I downloaded. I said, what are some fun games that I can play that where I don't feel like this is work? And so it helped me get comfortable with the controllers and helped me get comfortable with virtual reality. And it really helped overall me be able to promote it to the business units because I'm using it. So those are my, my biggest, if you're starting this journey today. Great advice. Great advice. Uh, Jenny, anything that you kind of want to say to our audience or to, to the XR at work community or those watching this, I mean, uh, from your experience, any, any final, uh, bits of wisdom, um, from you? I think the most important thing for anyone to do, whether you're 10 years into building software uh, and virtual reality or extended reality, XR in general, um, or if you're just starting out, look up design thinking sessions, read, uh, I think it's Google Ventures design sprints and try out a design thinking session for your own group uh, before you ever get into code, before you ever get into a headset, before you ever purchase a headset. Just see um, the main key points I want to say is Make sure the business is involved in the design thinking session, not more than seven people. The first thing you need to do is define a problem statement. What problem are you solving for? Who's using it? What's the problem and how will this solve the problem? And then also define what are you wanting to get out of this? So, you know, define the customer. So design thinking session, define the customer, define the problem statement, and what are your goals that you want to achieve by putting this in virtual reality? Um, that's what, that's my biggest thing. I, I just, I can't say it enough because there's so many people that don't plan accordingly and don't do these kind of things. And they just go straight into developing and you're not going to, you're not going to develop the right thing. If you don't plan accordingly, design thinking session, please. If you have any questions about it, reach out to me. I'm happy to help. I wish I knew you five years ago. Uh, yeah, that would have, would have helped me a lot. And I come from a project management and product management background, and I still just started throwing headsets in, in out there because it's cool and, and people want to see it. And it's like, yeah, good advice, Jenny. But Dan and I want to thank you for being part of our uh, community. Thank you for all you do for XR at Work and for XR practitioners in this industry. You've been a great source of encouragement and uh, camaraderie. And you're just a lot of fun to hang out with and talk to. So we appreciate that. You've got other folks on your team. We're looking forward to maybe talking to some of your uh, some of your team members in future episodes and seeing how we can go down some rabbit holes with some some other smart folks that uh, that have been benefiting from what you guys have been doing at Duke Energy. I would absolutely love that. 
I, I've said before, I am not the expert here. The team is, and you need to talk to them because they are phenomenal and create amazing work. We look, for, we look forward to it. We, um, XR Work is a community for XR practitioners, and we, we love helping each other out. Use the community. Uh, check out the other videos that we have on LinkedIn, YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Certainly reach out to Jenny if she can be a benefit. And, you know, Scott and Dane, we are always here. And we uh, look forward to uh, seeing everyone at an event in the near term. And uh, we want to appreciate everyone for watching today. Thanks, and be sure you hit like and subscribe.